Hello once again to the day today, your roundup of all the key data stories from the weekend's Premier League action. Maybe not quite as many early goals for us as there was across the league this weekend, but thank you to all of you who have subscribed or downloaded episodes so far. Please do us a favour, rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast as well. It might mean we're able to do more shows down the road. Look, there's so much to get into. Let's get into it. Matt Furness and I joining you. Delighted to say we've got a very special guest for our opening talking point. Long-time Opta analyst contributor Aaron Barton, for reasons that will come very clear very quickly. To be fair, we could have put this, what we're going to talk about now, in the bad section of the podcast. But really, this deserves a topic of its own. By virtue of game lost, Everton sit at the foot of the table, one of four teams without a point so far this season. But Matt... Is it all bad for the Toffees, or is this just a sticky time for them? Mm, very good. I like that. Um, I Where you say they're going to be in the bad section, I'm going to put this in the unlucky section. So at the moment, we all know Everton has started the season with no wins, no goals. Sounds pretty bleak. Um, but they've actually had shots worth 4.7 xG which is only slightly lower than Spurs at 5.1. So they're about mid-table in that regard of all Premier League clubs. So they've not really got an issue in creating the chances. Um, The worry, obviously, is that this goalless run and pointless run will continue. Um, I mean, they've got some way to go until they match the top-flight English record of losing and failing to score in the opening seven games of the season. That was set by Crystal Palace in 2017-18. But they eventually recovered and finished 11th. Um, and that only happened after they sacked Frank de Boer following the fourth game in that, in that terrible start. So if Everton both lose and fail to score next weekend away at Sheffield United, they'd be just the fifth team to do so in the opening four top flight games of the season. So other than Palace in 2017-18, you have to look back to Derby County in 1899 uh, and Stoke City in 1906 and Preston in 1924. Um, so Aaron, you're in a unique position here as an Opta expert, uh, being on the UK team, an Everton fan and a Portuguese football expert. So <laughs> what better person to come on this podcast to talk about the way that Everton has started the season and the man that is, looks like coming in to hopefully fix those goal scoring issues. So is it as bad as an Everton fan as we think from the numbers or do you think you've been unlucky as well? I think there's a, there's a bit of both. I think like leaving the stadium yesterday and walking out, it was it felt exactly like coming out of the Fulham game. To be honest, I think the Villa game got absolutely zero complaints. We were just outplayed on the day, and and we just didn't really turn up. But the first home game of the season against Fulham, a one nil loss, and you know the, the goalkeeper was the man of the match. Yesterday was. Was the exact same thing uh, with Jose Zar pulling off a string of, of great saves, but that second set, the Decore set, the save from Decore was one of the best yeah. saves I've seen in a long time. Phenomenal. It, you mentioned it there, Matt. It's just the fact that we've we've conceded to a goal in each game, a two point six xG uh, combined, and then on the other hand, we've had you know so many shots and. I think 4.1 XG overall, 34 shots. Shots from a variety of different positions as well, inside the box, outside the box, inside the six-yard box. But they've, they've, yeah, they've, they've all fallen to players who who aren't recognised sort of number nines. Not that that's, I don't think that's as much of an excuse as 
as um, as as it seems, because there's been a lot of talk about Everton needing a number nine, but these chances have all fallen to players who need to chip in with goals, the likes of Dan Juma, the likes of of Decore, and it it just hasn't happened for us so far. So the positive, yeah, is that we're creating chances. It'd be a lot worse if we've turned up and just got absolutely outplayed and 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 sort of battered. That hasn't been the case, but how many more of these these games can sort of happen because you're looking at the failings of last season and then looking at this season, it felt like these two first games at home, Fulham and Wolves, were both massive. Wolves were with us last season in terms of struggling to create. I think they were the lowest scorers in the Premier League and uh, with, with Everton being the second worst. So these were this was a, a huge opportunity to pick six points up, I think, and... and Ultimately, we haven't we haven't done so, and we won't we get. We joked anything. last week. We joked last week. This was six pointer already. Yeah. Third game of the season. Next week is a six pointer as well, isn't it? Now, so yeah. You, so let, let's move on to the guy who is coming in supposedly this week, um, Beto from Udinese. Um, he scored twenty non penalty goals, twenty one goals in total in Serie A over two seasons at Udinese. Um, you obviously know a bit more about him from his time at Portimonense uh, in Portugal. Um, he came from nowhere, really, didn't he? Did uh, the time for them? Yeah, he, he really did. It's 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 an incredible story, to be honest. And but by all uh, by all accounts, he's meant to be a really humble guy. Really, like just works hard for everything that he's got. And then when you look at sort of where he's come from, he's twenty five now. I think when he was playing for Tires in the in the regional districts, that was only in. 2017, 2018, something like that. He was working part time in a KFC while he was playing football, and sort of. If he doesn't do the Richarlison celebration. No, 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 no. He should do. <laughs> but it's just, it's just insane that this, 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 um, this player. I think I, I remember doing a tweet when he was playing for. I think it might have been for Udinese. Maybe his first season. He scored his first uh, senior hat trick. And he was like 23 or 24. And it's you just never really heard of these stories of players exploding sort of so late in the career, not really in the academy system, just playing in regional divisions in Lisbon and then sort of working his way up. And then, as you say, got the move to Portimonense, just kicked on from there, uh, especially sort of in, in, in that last season. Gets the move to Udinese, Serie A. You're thinking, how will he adjust? How will he adapt? A better league? Um, you know, uh, it'll be up against more wise defenders and more defensive league. And he's just, yeah, he's just came on sort of leaps and bounds. And then now he's coming to the Premier League. By all accounts, he, he had his medical today. Uh, he arrived on Merseyside this morning and, and that deal looks to be all but done. Although we did say that about Dan Juma first time round. So we'll wait, wait until he's uh, holding the shirts. So, you know, can he be the man that sort of solves Everton's issues, I guess? It's the player that we've been crying out for in terms of the profile. It's nice to see that Everton have actually, because the, the player that we're all looking to is Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who for, for one reason or another has, has been in and out of the side with injuries and I can't really recall a player who's had worse luck with injuries, to be honest. I mean, the, the game against Villa last week, he gets his body physically ready, he's back, all the hamstring niggles, the knee injuries, the leg, like the calf issues, he comes back and, and I think he gets a broken cheekbone from a from a facial collision. It's just like, what are you supposed to do? You know, sometimes you've just got to, it is what it is. But in someone in, in Beto is, 
a, fim, a similar sort of profile in terms of the height. It's someone that in a Sean Dice system, they can get the ball out wide and play crosses into him because sometimes, it, especially the start of the season, you go from Dominic Calvert-Lewin to someone like Neil Mopé, completely different profiles. So once one player's injured, you have to change your tactics slightly or more than slightly or continue to play the way that you would with a target man. And he's not winning many headers. There's nothing really to sort of flick on. There's, it, it, yeah, it, it makes it yeah difficult. And um, we saw Shemitty strong in the air then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's one of his. Um, that'll be one of his strengths. That'll be one of the things that Sean Dice is is looking to is is to to. I think in the 2021-22 season, four of his eleven goals through the Nase were headers. Um, and it's just it's it it's something that you can you can play to. He's tenacious. He'll go up against defenders. He won't shake a challenge. He'll work hard. He'll get in and amongst it, which I think Everton fans will will love. But we saw Yusuf Shimiti come on yesterday for it was late in the game, and he didn't really get on the ball a lot. But I think even just from the moments that he was on, the runs that he was making, the fact that he was basically staying within the confines of the 18-yard the box to the left, to the right, and, and making a lot of central runs, trying to play off the shoulder. Me, sitting in the stadium, I, I could see that, and he, he weren't found for one reason or another. But it's that sort of thing of there's an actual striker there, there's actual physical presence, and I think Beto gives you the same thing, except he's just a well more refined version, a player who's got a lot more sort of experience under his belt and has scored a lot more goals. <laughs> The failings of the of the the club and the the board, the frustration from the fans is that Everton have known that they've needed the centre forward since before last season. They've, they've known that they can't really rely on Calvert Lewin again, not through his own fault, his own failings, but the fact that they didn't have really another profile through the door until mm. after three games in the Premier League. Hopefully, he's in for the next game against. Sheffield United, obviously they've got the League Cup game this week, I think, against Doncaster away, whether he'll be involved in that if it's if he's registered, who knows. But yeah, it, it sort of feels like a missed opportunity because if someone like Beto or someone like Shea Adams or one of the plethora of, of forward names we've been linked with is through the door, the end of pre-season, going into the season, you think you probably win that game against Fulham, you probably win that game yesterday. Again, the Villa game, they're a much better side. The, the better coach tactically they look really really good no complaints with that one but I think Goodison will be massive this season as it always is for Everton it, the home form uh, the away form has been tragic really since Carlo Ancelotti since since that sort of COVID season when we were terrible at home and and would do well away, away. so I think those uh, those home performances season will be massive so yeah just have to start taking chances Cool. Well, we'll see if they do that next weekend at Sheffield United. Obviously, we saw them against Man City today. Um, nearly scraped a point. Uh, yeah. So it'll be a difficult game. But hopefully for you and Everton, uh, you get some more positive results around the corner. Um, thanks for joining us, Aaron. Cheers. Yeah. No no Indeed, I, just as we were talking about that, I was thinking Beto O'Rourke gave a lot of hope to the blue half of Texas <laughs> in elections. Maybe Beto is going to give hope to the blue half of Merseyside. <laughs> That's the sort of insightful punditry that yeah. I can only bring to that discussion compared to you, Aaron. That's it. Uh, brilliant, Aaron. Thanks. 
from KFC to KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll score some zingers, hey? Anyway, right, after the break, uh, we'll return with what was actually the good, the bad and the quirky from this weekend's Premier League action, as well as the much-anticipated return of the Pauline Quirk Quiz. Welcome back to the day today where we've been joined by a different guest for the rest of the podcast. I'd like to say Opta Analyst Star Ali Tweedale is with us. Ali, you well today? I am very well. Enjoyed a good day of watching lots of football. And not too much manic rewriting, which we'll get onto in just a little short while, because it is the time for the good, the bad, and the quirky from this weekend's Premier League action. And to start it off, for the first time in quite a few years, um, it's fair to say that for once in England, Sterling is good, isn't it, Matt? It is. Uh, and Raheem Sterling was phenomenal on Friday night again. Um, he followed up his performance from last week. I know they lost it to West Ham, but he was arguably the man of the match. Um, and he was definitely the man of the match on Friday against uh, Luton. Um, yeah, two goals. Uh, took them both really well. Um not quite an assist for the uh, the third goal for Nicholas Jackson, uh, which we can go into a bit more detail in, in a little bit. Um, but yeah, this season so far, 14 more touches, 12 more passes per 90 minutes than he did last season on average. Um, he's one of only five players who have had 15 dribbles. He looks a much more confident player. And he said post-match after the game on Friday night to Sky that he's enjoying his football again. He spent a lot of time this summer working on his fitness. Uh, obviously dropped out of the England squad. Um, recently, Southgate and him had had worries about fitness levels, etc. Um, didn't really have a great season last season, his first season at Chelsea, but who did? Um, and yeah, it's, it's great to see him enjoying his football again and looking a real threat. I think people forget that he is still a top, top player. He's still only 28, turns 29 mm. December. People think he's a lot older than he is because he's been around for so long. Um so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Sterling does this season in what you would imagine is a revitalised Chelsea side under a great manager in Pochettino. I think what's also interesting is that at this time where Chelsea are very much in transition, it appeared on Friday as if Sterling might be the guy that kind of steps up with kind of big individual moments and he's... he's like you say, he's only 28, but he's very much a leader in that team in a in a really, really young squad. Um, so I think it'd be great for him to have that extra responsibility. And he's obviously got the ability to to sort of shoulder that. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I think we might see a few more sort of big individual moments from him. Uh, well, yeah, cause just because just because the team that obviously are a work in progress and there's still a few things that they need to iron problems that they need to iron out and fine tune, I think. Yeah. And I mean, at the moment he's, he's ranked 20th in Premier League history for total goal involvement. So 176 he's got, um, that's 117 goals, 59 assists. And there's a really good chance that he'll break into the top 10 eventually. He's 36 away from that at the moment and maybe even higher. He's averaged a goal involvement every game and a half across his Premier League career. Uh, an average of a goal involvement every 115 minutes. Um, and it's probably, it's one of those players that maybe when he finishes his career, you'd imagine he's probably got at least four or five more seasons left in him in the Premier League. Um, if he if he keeps up that fitness regime, his, his uh, current fitness regime. 
he could be one of the leading goal involvement. Well, is that goal involvement players or goal involvers in uh, Premier League history? And maybe have an argument for being one of the best attacking players we've seen across the 30 odd years of, of the Premier League at the time he finished his career. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does this season. And if we're going to see a kind of a, a revitalized Sterling all season. Let's just briefly mention this. I think it's only fair. You talked about the fact he stands on 59 assists at the moment. There are some that will argue that it should be 60 after his cross for one of the goals yeah. the other day. Um, obviously, this does always raise a little bit of contention. It isn't credited as an assist. Uh, Matt, would you like to give the official explanation why not? Yes. Okay, right. So Opta traditionally have had an assist. Well, we've been collecting assists since 1996, really. And then we've gone back now to 1992 and recorded assists with the current definitions for assists as they are. We try to be... Um, well, we want an assist to be a genuine attempt to create a chance. And there's no, I mean, you could say that there was a genuine attempt for Sterling to hit an area there and he was aiming for Jackson, but without the massive deflection of Amari Bell's shin, it wouldn't have reached Jackson. It would have gone behind where it was, probably wouldn't cut by a defender. So with our definition of an assist, that is not a direct assist. Now, that can be quite confusing with fantasy football now. We also have a category called fantasy assists, which are a lot more... Um, Looser. Yeah, they are loose in terms of the terms. And you get them with things like winning penalties, winning free kicks that lead to goals as well. Um, so that did get awarded a fantasy assist. So some people are getting confused by that. Um, now, we, we've collected assists this way for decades now so if we were to suddenly change this assist to suit let's say the betting markets which are quite a lot of people were having this discussion on friday night then we would have to go back all time to change our definition of assist there's a famous goal rooney's overhead kick against manchester city in the manchester derby nanny crossed that ball in it took a heavy deflection off a manchester city defender's back deflected into the path of rooney so he didn't get awarded an assist for that goal that's an example of a goal that we would have to go back and change. I think there was a Cesc Fabregas one that he wasn't too happy about himself in a Sky interview once. Um, so that is a specific and very rigid definition of assists that we've stuck to over a long period of time that now, because there are betting markets on those, I think a lot of people believe that we create an assist market for a betting market when it's the other way around. We've always had an assist market and now there are our betting markets available to people to make bets on those so it's not an assist i can see why people think that's harsh um but by opt to definition it's not an assist so therefore it's not an assist (laughs) and i think think, think, go on alex sorry is it i suppose it's similar to um if you have a shot which isn't going in and a deflection takes it in it becomes an own goal exactly just like just like just like the cross wasn't going to Jackson and the deflection took it to Jackson. And so it, it becomes the defender's touch is the more significant thing. I mean, we, it's the same. We have a lot of arguments on shots on target as well. There was a a Bakaya Saka one against Crystal Palace where we had a lot of people saying, well, that should have been a shot on target. Um, That specific example, it, it quite clearly wasn't going on target. 
anyway, if it was a shot, because the keeper came out about six yards to collect it, it would have par- floated past the uh, far post. But in that case, we have to look at, there was a, an Arsenal player inside that area. It was quite obvious that he was floating across over. And you get you get examples like Madison's brilliant at these kind of crosses where they're almost like, if no one gets on the end of it, it could hit the target. It's the, it's one of those ones that you know, they are quite hard to define and you have to fall one way or the other. And then that one, because of the trajectory of it, uh, the way it was floated in, wasn't a shot on target. We've gone a bit astray here. No, but I think I think it's a really good clarity. It's a very good clarity. By all means, listeners, send this to your friends on all these things. The big point I'd like you all to take away is these are not brand new definitions. These are historic definitions. There is no way this has been the case since now for assists and all sorts of things since 1992. It is not changing. This is a historic thing. It's also important to state that our data collection teams have it's not just one guy on a computer collecting these things. These are checked in the game, post-game, and the next day to make sure that they've been spot on. I think the tests that have been done by external mm. uh, companies and uh, people, etc., there's 99% accuracy on, on these live as it is. Mm. Um, and post-match, there might be the odd tackle that isn't given during the game that will be given within the next 12 hours. Um, but major things like shots, etc., very little little uh, leeway on change on those because they're collected and checked live. Nope, exactly. Right, that's a really good explanation there. Uh, Matt, anything else that was good from this weekend in the Premier League, do you think? Not just this weekend, but this season, even though they lost the opening game 5-1, Aston Villa have been brilliant. Um, no, it's called good this section, not brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Aston Villa have been good slash brilliant. Um, and... There's a surprising statistic on Unai Emery, actually, that many people might not know. I think a lot of people know that he's he's done well since he came in. Uh, since the first Premier League match day, he took charge of only three clubs have won more points than Villa's 55. That's Man United, Arsenal and Man City. Um, Emery's now averaged 1.96 points per game in charge of Villa. That's higher than his spell at Arsenal, which was 1.73, um, albeit that turned a bit sour towards the end. Um, but the interesting thing, thing here is that 291 managers have taken charge of at least 20 Premier League games in a managerial spell at a single club um, in the Premier League. Only 16 of those have averaged 1.96 points per game or higher. Emery's one of those uh, at Villa, and he's the only one that hasn't been at Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal or Liverpool. Um, So it's, it's pretty rare that you see a manager outside those teams that's done such a good job. If he wins next weekend at Liverpool, albeit that's a pretty hard task, that average will be up to two points per game. Um, And I mean, that's top four form. The last five seasons in Premier League, 76 points, which is two points per game over a 38 game season, would have been enough to have secured a top three finish. So is it time we start thinking of Aston Villa as potentials to be Champions League qualifiers and a top three finish? I think so. Oh, bold shout, bold shout, another one. Goodness me. Uh, you mentioned Liverpool in there. Um, let's let's be honest, uh, in the preparation for this podcast, as you can imagine, uh, we are recording this just hours after what happened at uh, St. James's Park. I think at certain points during the game, both Liverpool and Newcastle were in good, bad, quirky and other sections of the show uh, after what a game it was at St. James's Park. Liverpool obviously coming away with the late 2-1 victory despite being down to 10 men. Uh, Ali had the misfortune of having to rewrite our 
coverage of this game very quickly uh, after the final whistle. It's always the worst thing that can happen to a journalist. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I think it's fair to say, in the end, it's been a bad day for Newcastle. Yeah, um, kind of crazy that they lost that game. Uh, but it is it does reflect badly on them that they would go ahead at home and implode like that um, against 10 men as well. Um, it wasn't very typical of Newcastle, this Newcastle team. Um, that was the first time they have lost a game at home under Eddie Howe after going ahead. Um, so, I mean, after going ahead against Liverpool, they must have thought, great, this is a big step towards um we, we don't lose games after going ahead. So this is a big step. And then Virgil van Dijk getting sent off and they must have thought this is another big step towards a, a really, really big result in the race for the Champions League, for Champions League football um, against a, a, a rival at the top of the table. Um, and I think right up until whatever it was, 75 minutes or whatever, I think Liverpool were sort of pushing to get like they were, they were being positive. Klopp was being positive with his changes, um, and Liverpool were definitely going for it. They didn't, they weren't happy to sort of, they weren't sort of like looking to nick a chance, an odd chance. They were creating decent chances, but Newcastle wasted good positions, good chances. Almiron hit the post when Harvey Barnes went clean through, and Callum Wilson was screaming for it. Oh, yeah. Barnes didn't quite shoot, didn't quite pass it. Callum Wilson gave him an earful afterwards, quite rightly. Um, so yeah, it was it was really really uh, poor um, for Newcastle to come away from that game not having won. Uh, but I mean, Eddie Howe will be so disappointed with that. Uh, I just I think he'll yeah. he'll be as confused as the rest of us as to how they've not won that game. Well, Klopp has a hold. Sorry, Klopp has a hold over Eddie Howe at the moment. What is it? Eleven consecutive Premier League wins against Howe is like the most it's a record. That's a Premier League yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, yeah longest run against a Pacific manager. And like, there were a lot of positives to Newcastle in this game. And I try not. I think Anthony Gordon, like for instance, looks like a player revitalised at that club at the moment. But you do. You you're not going to compete for a top four losing games like this. And, and like that's that's got to be. That's what I think. Yeah, you'd hope that Newcastle would learn from that. But I was so impressed with the way that Liverpool reacted and they kept their philosophy of building through the thirds, trying to play the ball around the back still. I mean, quite a lot of people uh, or analysts on Twitter at the time were saying they couldn't believe that Alisson wasn't going long more and, and, and attempting to to just at least unsettle Newcastle that way, but they never resorted to that. Um, I mean, it was it was great to see a player who's had a lot of stick at Liverpool since joining in Darwin Nunez, finished so brilliantly for those two chances as well. Quite often last season, you would see Nunez, he, he, used to, he drags his shots quite often mm. wide of the post from those angles and he finished them so well. Those two chances were put away excellently. And in a game like that, when you know you're not going to get many chances, that is so important to, to take them. And yeah, Newcastle was stunned. And in the end, you probably say Liverpool deserved that, um, the way that they coped going down to 10 men. Um, yeah, which and Ali, there's a great stat about this that you put in your your match report on theanalyst.com. Just like Liverpool don't seem to be affected by going down to ten men, 
Yeah, it's crazy. This is the seventh straight game that they've avoided defeat in. I think they've won five of them um, when they're down to 10 men, which kind of goes against everything that I sort of thought about football. And um, <laughs> when, when, uh, when uh, Van Dyke got sent off, um, we tweeted out that that was nine red cards in 29 games this season, which is one every 3.2 games, which makes it by far the most prolific season for Premier League red cards. And I was kind of really disappointed to, I mean, to see how extreme it's been because in my mind, red cards these days, because teams are so organised and every player is so important to, to everything that um, every team does, uh, in my mind, a red card is just curtains for that team they just you just don't get teams that uh come from behind with 10 men anymore just, Ali, at the time game over didn't you when yeah. in the cat, you're like game over it's <laughs> yeah, been killed isn't it there's nothing exactly. no, no reason to watch this anymore get on exactly. with the rest of your lives <laughs> liverpool liverpool are proving me completely wrong and i'm all i'm here for that i just uh like it it's just really really good how unexpected that was um but maybe for people who knew that about Liverpool and maybe Eddie Howe should have done his research, <laughs> done a bit more research and been a, sort of more aware of how threatening Liverpool can be when they've seen He would have got Tyndall to do it, wouldn't he? I was, I was just thinking that. Just get Jason Tyndall on that one. Um, now, rather bizarrely, uh, you would have thought that might have been the quirky stat of the week for us here on the day-to-day, but it's not. And I know there were there were emails, there were tweets about the delight in the Pauline Quirk quiz last week. Uh, it is back, but before we get into the quiz, uh, which Ali and I know nothing about because Matt's kept it quiet from us. Um, Matt, what is this week's quirky fact? So it's quirky in the fact that he wasn't there today, but um, Pep Guardiola... <laughs> He has now reached 200 wins in the Premier League. He is the quickest manager to have done that in top flight history in England. Um, so it's taken him 269 games to secure 200 wins, albeit the 200th came from home. Um, well, it's the work from home era, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, he's surpassed the previous record, which was Jose Mourinho, 326 games. Uh, and then others in the top five were Arsene Wenger, 332. Kenny Daglish. 336 and Don Revy, um, 351. Um, so yeah, really good win for City today, considering they conceded late on after that. Don't know what Kyle Walker was doing, <laughs> uh, but he made up for it with the pass into Foden. With his just that was an assist, by the way, the Phil Foden <laughs> one <laughs> yeah, goes against what I was saying earlier. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, a good win for them. But I'm just, I have a quick just, question around it. I just, I'm just, I, I, all that comes to mind right now, obviously, Pep not being there today. I do think about that manager. Do you remember the manager in Germany who had to watch the game from home when he was isolating with COVID? And yeah, he was yeah. just screaming at the, I'm just oh, imagining you know Pep going to be like that. Uh, is, but all on a delay as well. Which <laughs> is like, it's going to be a good, like, 10 second delay. Like, anybody who watch, sometimes, if you're watching a game on a slight delay of stream, you might get a alert come through of a goal or such, like, and then you look up and it's like, oh, oh that's happened. Uh, right. Quiz time, Matt. This is the exciting bit. Let us right. know what, what we're going into okay. here. So, what we're going to do, we're going to do. It's quite a risk doing these quizzes. Like, we, I know. It sounded like Graham was just sort of saying that, but we are completely clueless about about yeah. this, about this quiz. It's quite I, a I risk because we we could just completely ruin this for yeah. you. Yeah, 
this well, is part this is the double jeopardy of this podcast yeah, <laughs> it is. we're, we're going to risk it but also people can play along at home with this so we're going to do this as a penalty shootout style game so you're going to have five attempts each taking turns to give a correct answer if we're level at the end of the first five penalties each we'll head to a sudden death shootout not massively confident that if we do it'll probably one all um <laughs> so um what i have is I have a list of 14 different Spanish managers to have taken charge of a game in the Premier League. You're going to take it in turns to give me a Spanish Premier League manager. So this doesn't include caretaker managers. So there's 14. A few of them are current. Some of them well-known. Some of them we talked about already. Um, so I'm pretty confident you should at least get one each. Um, <laughs> right. On yeah. that note... Listeners at home, we're going to take a very quick break. You start coming up with your list of 14. Um, obviously, you will be able to tick them off during the penalty shootout. Ali and I are going to take a little breather ourselves to try and work out what we're going to do. And when we get back, the Pauline Quirk quiz is here on the day-to-day. Hello there, and welcome back to the day today. Where genuinely we took just a minute and a half between the break of the recording. In case some of you have been thinking we went away for twenty minutes, and Ali and I can come back and look really smart on this because it is the Pauline Quirk quiz. Uh, Matt has set us the task in a penalty shootout format of naming all fourteen full-time permanent Spanish managers to have managed a game in the Premier League. Um, this is going to be fun. Uh, Ali, also, just to let you know, uh, as ever, the guest gets to choose whether they're going to go first or second here. So would you like to take the opener or would you like to respond? I'll go first. Okay. First penalty Thanks. kick. Ali, who is your Spanish manager? Pep Guardiola. Oh, tough one. Well done. One nil. Belly, you're up next. So this is... What I'm going to do, I'm going to go for the tricky one first in the hope that I am going to trump something here. Ooh, missing your first penalty would be a big risk. But he puts the pressure on everybody else. Okay. One day Ramos. Mm. One day Ramos, yes. One all. Ali, your turn. Rafa Benitez. Benitez, he has managed 359 games, the most experienced Premier League manager of all Spanish, all Spaniards. You'll be delighted Ellie, to know at okay. home. You'll be delighted to know at home it isn't going to finish one-one. Um, Lopetegui, Lopetegui, yes, twenty-three Ooh. Premier League games, two-two. Unai Emery, Unai Emery, seventy-nine Premier League games, three-two. Belly, your third kick, Mikel Arteta. I'm just going to go down yeah, that. Mikel Arteta, three-all. <laughs> so you, you're getting all the easier ones out of the way now. Um, <laughs> Now it's getting harder. Fourth kick. I very, very nearly just said someone who's not Spanish. It really, <laughs> really nearly came out of my mouth. Uh, Iraola. Yes. Oh. I see you knew this season at Bournemouth. Hey, can um, I just, just to delay a little bit of time. They even sounded slightly Spanish there, fellas. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> because we've got to be on it. I, like, Bournemouth... It's not looking good for them at the moment. I, no, I it, like he he, not. and it's not looking good for you, Belly. For no, no, I'm, I'm trying to delay. Uh, this is part of my opera because I've got. Oh, this is going to go badly wrong, and I can already feel it. There's one name that's jumping out of my mind, 
and I've got a horrible feeling he's Argentinian. Okay. Pellegrino. I knew you were going to say that. He's Chilean. Chilean. Even yeah. worse. Didn't even get the backup nation no, right. That was who I nearly just said. <laughs> yeah. So, Ali, if you score this, you've won the shootout. If you miss, it gives Belly a chance to uh, take it to sudden death. I'm going to... your fifth. I'm, I'm going to penenka it with a person that I, I hope, I'm pretty sure, uh, is Spanish, Pepe Mel. Pepe Mel is Spanish. Yeah. Uh, you haven't just penenkered it, you backheeled that in. Um, <laughs> five from five. The, the, the penalty shootout is over, but Belly, did you have a fifth uh, Spanish manager? No. Or any Chileans, Argentinians? No, I've got, I've got, I've got, <laughs> I mean, I can go for Marco Silva. I've got written down here. Like, right. some so pretty terrible names. Off. Um, right, Pepe Mel, great shout. 17 yeah, really. games with West Brom manager. So you missed one, two, three, four, five, six Spanish managers. Um, can I ask a question? Unbelievably. Can I ask a question? Have we missed off the lowest? The manager to have uh, no, is the lowest, which is three. obviously, yeah. Um, you missed three Watford managers, which I'm absolutely <laughs> gutted about. Oh, Sanchez Flores, Kike Sanchez Flores, Cisco Munoz. Oh, um, god, yeah, you've missed. I can't believe you missed this one, Roberto Martinez, 265 oh. Premier League games as manager, yeah, but I hate- Taranka, 27, <laughs> and Ruben Sellers, Southampton last season. I thought he was. I thought he was a caretaker. I didn't. I didn't say him. Yeah, no, he wasn't caretaker. He oh. he was. Um, he might have felt like a caretaker, but he wasn't. <laughs> the only Spanish caretaker is Bruno Saltor. I think is it Brighton Chelsea when um, Chelsea the Chelsea. He yeah. was a Chelsea manager last season. Oh yeah, sorry, it was Graham, Graham Potter. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That's why I thought Brighton. Um, yeah. So Ali, you won five three on penalties. Um, and you didn't name any Chileans, so well I'm, done. I'm disappointed that my brain didn't automatically go to Watford managers. That seems so obvious now. But under I, pressure, I, I don't think I would have got any of the I, my, my head is in my hands as a Reading fan for not going Ruben yeah, Scheller. current manager. My current manager, which <laughs> is a particular low point, I think, to end this episode of The Day Today On. Uh, if any of you would like to apply for the role of host, please do email editors <laughs> at theanalyst.com um, because, frankly, my football knowledge got shown up there quite badly. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Of course, do follow us across our social media accounts, even. We are at Opta Analyst across the board. And, of course, make sure you do review, rate, and tell all your friends about this podcast. It, we really do appreciate all of you who have been downloading the show so far because I know, looking at the metrics, this is the moment you all tune out of the show anyway. Um, Matt, thanks very much for joining us once again. Ali, Thanks for making your debut on the show. Um, we've Pauline got one winner. Pauline Quirk winner on the first show. Well. He is a bird of a feather. No, um, we'll move on from that. Uh, we will be back next week, obviously, because we've got one more week of Premier League action before the first international break of the year. But on behalf of all of us here at Opera Analyst, until next time, thanks very much for listening. <laughs>